All right, welcome everybody to Simply Cyber Live. Thank you for granting us some grace as we started a few minutes late. In this stream, we will be talking with global cybersecurity industry experts on hiring practices for neurodivergent talent. You're not going to want to miss this, okay? Now, from the Harvard Health Publishing, neurodiversity describes the idea that people experience and interact with the world around them in many different ways, and there is no um, like one right way of thinking, learning, and behaving. So that is the underpinning. The word neurodiversity refers to the diversity of all people, but it is often used in the context of the autism spectrum disorder, ASD, as well as other neurological or developmental conditions such as ADHD or learning disabilities like uh, dyslexia, uh, for example. And the neurodiversity movement really emerged during the 1990s, aiming to increase acceptance and inclusion of all people while embracing neurological differences. And I would argue that many of us, uh, myself included, are borderline ignorant when it comes to this particular topic. So I'm very, very excited about what we're going to be doing in the next hour um, around, you know, developing all of ourselves and really sharing this knowledge. It is important for us all to foster an environment that is conducive to neurodiversity and to recognize and emphasize that each person's individual strengths and talents in talents while also providing support for their differences and needs. So basically, just because someone isn't exactly like you doesn't mean that they're less or more. They're just different in the way that they operate and interact with the world and make contributions is different than the way you are. Today, I'm pleased to bring to the stage for international cybersecurity recruiters and a senior cybersecurity industry professional who is also openly neurodivergent. We will cover many topics today and you will learn how neurodivergent candidates can get cybersecurity jobs within current societal constructs, how neurodivergent individuals can position their condition as a strength over disability to potential employers, and how employee employers can truly be inclusive of a diverse workforce. So without further ado, I'm very, very excited, obviously, about what we're about to be doing, but I want to introduce our, um, our panelists and our guests today. So let me bring them on one at a time. First, we're gonna bring from the mighty down under Australia, my man, Ricky Burke. Hey, Ricky. Ricky has over 10 years of cybersecurity recruiting experience. He's the host of the Hacking Into Security podcast. He's co-founder of SecTalks Gold Coast and the AllSec Meetup. He's board of director at the Australian Women's Security Network, and he's presented at many notable cybersecurity conferences and has been published in what I think is one of the coolest uh, things on a resume, 2600 Magazine. Ricky, thank you for being here and thank you for your time today. Next, coming up onto the stage is my man, Paul Charles. Paul helps companies find the best information security talent on the market and specializes in the offensive side of the house, placing penetration testers and ethical hackers in both permanent and freelance gigs in the UK and even across the pond in the, uh, the mighty United States of America. So watch out, Joe Hudson. Uh, he's a podcast host. He, he's a community leader um, at the Cyber Job Hunting Cybersecurity Discord server. Uh, and he really uh, like lives what he says, right? He Through sponsorships and community engagement, Paul doesn't just help people find InfoSec jobs. He helps them get the skills that they need in order to uh, execute and be successful at those InfoSec jobs. 
Next, coming up to the stage is Daryl Daly. We are we're gonna run out of space up on the stage here. Let me get rid of some of this this uh, extra stuff here. Daryl, coming from the Maple Leaf country, Daryl has 26 years in the tech recruiting industry with the last last 12 focused in cybersecurity. Daryl knows what's effective and most importantly, what's ineffective in getting the best results, both for himself and for those individuals that he places in cybersecurity roles. Um, it's all a boot. Good times. Hey, eh, Daryl. Okay. Always. Thanks for having me. Of course. And then finally, you know, if you're a Simply Cyber regular, you're not going to be surprised at who we're looking at here. My man, your friend and mine, Joe Hudson, former elementary school teacher turned hyper-focused cybersecurity headhunter with seven plus years of experience. Um, he is like, he gives so much to the cybersecurity community over and over, including as many of you, you know, his time on Simply Cyber with resume reviews and the creation and donation of three cybersecurity resume templates that anyone can download. And I know for a fact, people have downloaded them and used them to get jobs. So good on you, Joe, for that. Uh, and he's always having time to help anyone willing to put in their fair share of the work in order to, uh, you know, basically break into the industry. So thank you all for being here, recruiters. And finally, uh, last but not least, obviously, it's our good friend, Nato Riley. So Nato takes what others know to be true and finds something new that hides beneath the surface, which I think is just a great way of putting that. He likes to turn possibilities into realities. Now you may know him. Nato's got his fingers in a lot of different pies, okay? Nate, you may know Nato from his successful YouTube channel. Uh, don't, we'll bring Paul back in a second. <laughs> you, you may know um, him from a successful YouTube channel, NATO is Code. He's got this cloud underground community, which I, I think I'm a fairly smart guy and I still can't wrap my head around all the insanity that's going on in the cloud underground. It's amazing work that they're doing down there. Or you may know him from his SIM integration engineering work. NATO's always willing to help uh, just like everybody else on this stage. Uh, and he's and he's openly offered for people to connect with him um, and engage, okay? And today is no difference, obviously, in his community outreach as NATO is openly neurodivergent, as I mentioned before, uh, and a cybersecurity professional. And he will be contributing to our conversation today from that perspective. It's going to be awesome. So without further ado, I know that was a long, long intro, but each of you are very, very valuable and very important. And it's critical for the audience to fully appreciate and understand. Now let's get right into it and I'll throw it immediately to NATO. NATO, just so we can level set and really appreciate and understand, can you kind of talk about uh, what neurodiversity is and how it kind of plays in the you know modern workspace? Yeah, absolutely. So neurodivergence, neurodiversity, uh, everyone thinks differently, whether someone has ADD, whether they're on the spectrum or they have who knows what are a variety of, of things. So I have a variety variety of cognitive differences from most people. Uh, and so what you'll run into is if you meet someone who is neurodivergent, most of the things that might be like common sense or typical to most people are like a mass market or like, you know, you're kind of more average thinker. Uh, we probably either don't get standard tropes or don't uh, kind of connect or understand things the same way, but we have our own understandings where things that someone who's neurodivergent, what they're good at, they're probably disproportionately good at what most people are bad at. And most people are probably much better at things that someone who's neurodivergent might be uh, bad at, so on and so forth. 
That that is really interesting. So based on what you're saying there, I mean, is is there a real opportunity for neurodivergent individuals to take the things that they're especially good at and really highlight those as a strength? I think so. And one of the important things for someone who is neurodivergent is understanding how do you stand out from other candidates? Because uh, just because you're different doesn't mean bad. Different is a way to stand out. And if you're trying to get a job, you want to stand out above other candidates. And so if you're building self-awareness and figuring out what are the things that you're consistently really good at or what kinds of positive feedback you get from other people, uh, then someone who is neurodivergent might be significantly better for certain types of jobs. And so if you structure, say, like your resume or your job hunt around those strengths, uh, then you can find oftentimes uh, it can go from being very difficult to find a job to being someone who might be a lot better at certain tasks than others. Interesting. So let me start throwing this to the recruiters and I'll start with uh, Paul, if, if that's fine with you. So Paul, to NATO's point about kind of taking these um, skills and, the, and these uh, conditions, if you will, of neurodivergent individuals in, 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 in spinning what may be seen as some as a disability, making it a strength. Have you had any experience uh, in the UK with this? And, you know, and like what kind of historical uh, case study can you share? Um, I was thinking about one, it was a research position. So the role itself is something you have to be very persistent at. Um, and yeah, it has a certain mindset to it. You can you can do really good work for a long time. And the, the work, it, pans out to be nothing, you know, not because you failed, but because someone else has found it before you. Um, and the person we found is very, um, well, they, they have autism, but the, the way it's structured is that they just carry on doing something. They carry on attacking it until it's done. Uh, they don't let up. And that was ideal for this sort of position. Now, they, they're not, they weren't someone who necessarily would want to be in front of people. Um, so, you know, there was weaknesses there, but we were able to channel the strengths and, you know, get towards a, a job that was perfect for them, you know, and, uh, I mean, they've been promoted twice since they've been there. So they obviously are doing a good job. Uh, and it's all down to like finding where their strengths were. Uh, mm -hmm. knowing that mentally they're very persistent and then uh, using that as a as, as the strength, really. Well, so, Paul, and we'll go to Joe right after this one, but, Paul, um, I guess when you are placing a candidate and, and you have a job like this, right, like, mm -hmm. like where it's going to be very meticulous and very thorough and maybe somebody who is neurodivergent would be the ideal candidate, I mean, do you actively seek out that type of individual or recruit it as, you know, this, this would be good with someone who is on, on the spectrum perhaps? Um, not necessarily, although I, I often find out that people are on the spectrum during the process um, or sometimes after I've placed them. That's happened a few times where it's like, uh, yeah, I'm on the spectrum. Uh, in fact, when I, when we advertised for this, I had a few people come out of the woodwork or I had no idea had any sort of um, yeah, neurodivergent um, thing going on. And uh, yeah, they, it was just surprising how many people actually had it. But I don't actively seek it. I have had some companies who view it as, well, they call it a superpower, some of them. They view it as a, as a benefit. 
Uh, others um, sort of hit and miss, you know, that some some really appreciate it, some don't. Uh, some mm -hmm. are on the fence. Um, but in, in terms of your yeah, question, I don't seek them out. They just inevitably arrive in this industry. There's a lot of people. Yeah. So, Joe, to throw it to you, kind of same question from a United States perspective. Um, have you ever seen, uh, you know, an opportunity to kind of spin uh, neurodivergence as a strength for a particular role when you identify it? Is it requiring those type of uh, skills? Yes and no. I would say uh, it's a it's still a sensitive subject for individuals. You know, there are going to be some people that would never want me to tell anyone that that they would you know, qualify or classify themselves as neurodivergent, and they may not even know. I mean, there's a lot of people that are discovering it now. I had a chat a week and a half ago right here in this office um, with a guy I've known for a long time. He's been a director, you know, for a long time. He's, he said his son is on the spectrum. He went and got tested. He found out he's on the spectrum. And he said, what do I do? You know, like, should I, should I be telling people this? And I said, that's totally up to you, man. Um, but in the sense that America is you know, I, I absolutely don't pay attention to all the world news on all topics, but I know America places such an emphasis on this topic is we need to be more accepting. But in many ways, I think we're probably the most judgmental country on the planet, too, to where we say, you know, be yourselves, but but make sure you do it this way. And um, yeah. you know, what I told him was, hey, look, man, we're going to have a serious influx of candidates over the next 10 to 15 years that are going to be neurodivergent. And maybe they will say it and maybe they won't. But if I am not neuro, if I if I'm anything and I'm nervous about it as an applicant and I can find a manager that works there, that's proud about it and open about it, like that's a place I'm going to feel probably a little bit more comfortable applying. And so I think that, you know, once we start to see more people openly, uh, um, you know, sharing this information, I've had m multiple candidates come to me this year. I would say not very many before this year, but they were openly, you know, it's on their resume and whatnot. Uh, mm -hmm. When we start to see those people climbing the ranks and they've from the beginning been open about this and now they're in leadership positions, I think that that will start to change the narrative for people who are nervous in applying or not even able to get a shot because that's going to be a lane that makes more sense for them and for the people that are hiring. And and they'll be able to say, yeah, I understand how to work with my day and how I can maximize my skills. But I mean, I think it's very clear in cybersecurity, like there are some great qualities that work very well pattern recognition for people that that can be you know on the spectrum that can be something that's incredible that could be amazing so i yeah. see i'm seeing a lot more but i would say we haven't reached over that hump yet to where it's people are really comfortable about it yet yeah and unfortunately the united states like mental health it is it it, it still has a massive negative stigma uh we're getting better and better at being more acceptive and inclusive uh on that but it, it's still, you know, it's interesting to see how it kind of transitions. Daryl, did you want to drop a comment following up on Joe? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I think we talked about strengths earlier. And uh, I think one of the key things is that when we think about all these things, um, you know, whether they're autistic or, or neurodiverse, you know, if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism. Um, everyone has different strengths. Uh, some are going to be very you know, they're going to align with, you know, certain cybersecurity roles. Uh, and, and I think you have to kind of align those things with, uh, with the, uh, you know, with the job. Um, and as for employers, uh, you know, I think there's an awful lot of chat, both in the U.S. and Canada. And from, you know, from what I've learned from you guys overseas, there's a lot of talk about 
policy and discussions and 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 openness to people who are who are uh, uh, neurodiverse, etc. Um, and I think that's a great start. Um, how they execute on that to actually make it happen is 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 perhaps where some things are are, are going wrong, or at least we're not there yet. And and, and all that really means is that. Um, you know, we can have the greatest policies, uh, you know, we want to do this, we want to do that. But as it filters down through the levels and all the way to the hiring manager who, um, you know, I think that's where that execution uh, sort of falls apart. So uh, there, there's still room to uh, room to improve for sure. And with current labor shortages all over the market, especially IT and especially in cyber, I don't think employers or recruiters can ignore this talent pool, especially when there's some unique strengths that they can bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Ricky from Australia, thoughts? You're on mute, Ricky. Sorry, there we go. Um, yep. I think some really good points there from, from Joe, because um, sort of echoing that in terms of people coming into the space and sort of being open about their situation is there's not enough i think role models um and it's a really it's a really tough tough thing because obviously it means people being more vulnerable and, and putting themselves out there like nato's done essentially for himself and others out there and i think we need more people to sort of um if possible um be that sort of example out there because if, if i look at the situation I did, I did a poll rec uh, recently on linkedin um asking essentially when would be people feel comfortable in um, essentially advising that they are neurodiverse and mo I think around 50% of people said they would do it during the process and 30% not at all so even after getting the job or anything like that they still wouldn't I guess do that and it's it's until we I think make it more um, more welcoming more accepting more open because there is a lot of talk about around diversity for organizations but I don't feel like there's enough action or enough of a situation where people feel ultimately comfortable in talking about these things um, that could hopefully benefit themselves and that organization for the long term as well. Yeah, that that is interesting. Uh, and just as a production note, um, it sounds like chat is kind of like the chat that's over here on the side of the screen is actually kind of buggy right now and not performing right. I'm just finding this out right now. So um, we'll, I'll take care of that in a second. I'm, I'm getting a couple questions here in uh, Discord. Uh, but Ricky, you bring up a really good point that there isn't like that, um, you know, figurehead that people can point to who's really carrying the banner for neurodiversity. Uh, I, I do hope we can get there. And NATO, I, you know, obviously like not to put that mantle on you, but, you know, you coming on programs like this and speaking about it uh, gives you that um, gives you that platform to be able to share practices and, and you know, be 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 someone that can people can look to and be like, oh, okay, like, look, I can, I can be NATO. I could, I could do that, you know? So I think, I think you're a hundred percent right, Ricky. Now, one, one phrase that we keep throwing around that I would love for NATO to answer, because I think some of us have an assumption of what it means, but NATO, we have said multiple times already on the stream on the spectrum, uh, neurodiversity covers a lot of things. Can you speak to what on the spectrum means and give a little bit of a, a bigger scope of, of neurodiversity? Definitely. So when you hear the term on the spectrum, 
it's easy to sometimes think of either like Asperger's or autism. Uh, and it really, it covers a range. And what that range is inclusive of just means that uh, individuals develop, developmentally have, I guess, matured differently. And so as a result, someone who is on the spectrum is more likely to have a range of, say, like different needs from a, a normal individuals who are more neurotypical. Uh, and it doesn't mean like worse than, it just means different. And I think that it can sometimes be misconstrued a little bit. Oftentimes it can look like ADD in someone who doesn't have like obvious uh, signs of something like being on the spectrum. Uh, so in, in some cases, like even for me, like I had to be like trained how to speak appropriately. Otherwise I, I actually have a speech impediment and stutter a lot, things like that. But I'm a lot better at things like typing uh, and I can type significantly faster than most people as to where speaking is not something that comes naturally for me. And one of the reasons why I speak well is because it's one of my primary trained things over the, the many years of just learning how to actually speak. So it just means different, not worse than. And maybe the strengths might be disproportionately uh, better in other areas, uh, while maybe disproportionately weaker in some areas. And without an understanding of that, I think it can lead to a lot of confusion and, and a lot of misunderstandings. So if you meet someone on the spectrum, chances are there will just be a lot of misunderstandings. Uh, and without making assumptions with someone who's on the spectrum usually leads to just probably being uh, not not accurate about something so it's just different for everyone you're on mute jerry for a good five seconds there you, everybody's gonna get one today all right people nope. everybody gets one mulligan okay so <laughs> Uh, just as a fun fact, Justin Gold in YouTube chat is fielding questions and putting them to me. So um, if you have a question for us, drop it in chat and Justin will get it to me. Now, one we did have like a little uh, pre-meet this group of people on Tuesday. Really great conversation. And there is, it's interesting that this is the question that's come up in chat three times already. And we've only been live for about 15 minutes. The question is, when do you disclose to a potential employer. And I we talked about 20 minutes on this the other day. We could probably do a whole show on it. So NATO, I wanna bring you up first since you are neurodivergent and then um, uh, recruiters as appropriate, just, just let me know and we'll bring you up. But NATO, when should I disclose if I am neurodiverse? So it's, I think that's a very personal question. And I guess the way that I answer that sort of question these days is uh, different individuals have different support structures. And so for some, you might have like a really supportive like family structure or some structure behind you that makes it a little easier to take certain risks with like your career transaction. So if you're going and applying for jobs and you say, hey, you know, I am neurodivergent or however have you, it does open doors to discrimination. And for those who think like, oh, it can't be that bad. It, it's, it's bad. It's really hard to get a job if you just openly disclose uh, what your situation is health wise. That's why we have the Office of Civil Rights and things like HIPAA. So it's actually your right in certain countries like America uh, to, you know, be the decider on what you disclose, how, when, and why. So if you have a good support structure and you have 
enough belonging around you to feel confident enough to talk about that to employers. Rejection can hit someone who is neurodivergent really hard. And so if you're constantly getting rejected, if you don't have something to kind of like keep you stable, then maybe if you don't have that kind of support structure, I oftentimes will wait until they're or, or recommend waiting. For me, I tend to wait until uh, there's an offer and then I'll talk to HR and then make sure that it sounds like an appropriate fit with HR. Uh, and then move forward and making sure that I'm like, I fully disclose out to HR. Now everyone's different. That's one way. If you want to disclose, you don't even have to necessarily uh, talk to HR. You can wait a few months to see, kind of feel a workplace out and figure out who maybe you feel comfortable talking to about that, those sorts of things. But uh, one reason why I do recommend talking to HR first uh, before managers is because HR uh, has access to certain protections for you. So like if you are in say like America, you do have say the Office of Civil Rights. And if you disclose uh, certain disabilities and things like that to HR, and you can get some coaching and help on how to present that to your manager. Uh, and so it, in some cases, it might make more sense to apply to a job, especially if you know you can do the job well. Uh, what, I'll, what I've run into is there are certain jobs that like, you know, someone might know that they're gonna be an overachiever in just because they know that their predisposition is significantly better at say something like coding than most people. And so they know that even if they are bad at everything else, they can probably get away with just being so good at code that everyone else will leave them alone. So maybe they can get away with not saying anything. Um, but it, even if you're really good at something like that, you'll run into, it's almost guaranteed that you'll run into misunderstandings with other coworkers. Uh, and, and so if you don't ever disclose that you have some form of difference in the office, then it can translate into just a lot of confusion around the office. So I do still recommend talking to HR, even if you never tell a manager and never tell someone who you're working with, just so that there's someone who can be an advocate of awareness for what you have if unexpected messes and misunderstandings pop up so that if, you, if, if you're going to potentially get fired, you can't be fired if it's because of your disability. And that's a protection that I think is very important for those who have disabilities to be mindful of is protect yourself first and think about how strong your uh, support structure is. So Daryl, as a recruiter, have you experienced or do you have a, a story from your background around a candidate uh, just, you know, going through this difficult decision process of when to disclose? Yeah, it's more of a, a, a personal uh, story rather than a, a professional one. Uh, so my oldest son is autistic um, and he is also uh, working in the cybersecurity world. And he works for Deloitte Canada as a, as a cybersecurity analyst and a threat hunter. And I know that when he started looking for his first entry level role, there was a lot of discussions both here at the house and, and from other people who were trying to provide, you know, some assistance to get him going and in, into that first role. Uh, you know, do you disclose? How do you disclose? When do you disclose? When do you disclose? And, and what exactly do you disclose? Um, so, you know, again, I'll back up NATO 100% saying that it is a personal decision. Um, about whether to do it, when to do it, who to do it with, and, and exactly the details, etc. Um, in general, uh, I think in my son's case, it was a positive overall, uh, only in the fact that if organizations were not terribly interested in, you know, making accommodations happen, 
you wouldn't get very far. It didn't really matter how you did on that technical interview. Um, whereas other organizations were very open and, you know, even in their initial email inviting uh, you to, uh, to your first interview, there was a question, hey, if you require any accommodations, please let us know. Um, and I think that's important just to keep that, that conversation going and uh, for you to, be, to put your best foot forward uh, in that interview and do your best. And hopefully find that right fit and get employed. So I'm, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a fan of it. Uh, but again, personal. And I think uh, there's that initial uh, during the interview stage, but then also after you're actually hired, you know, a, a simple letter uh, stating, you know, here is an issue that I have. Here is how it impacts me. Here is my idea on how a simple accommodation can make a difference to me to be successful. So I, I think those are all key things. And, uh, you know, I'll give you one example if you got, give me two more seconds. Just, you know, for example, um, let's say prioritizing tasks. So this is challenge. Prioritizing tasks. What are the impacts on performance? Too much time spent on non-critical tasks and important projects are late. Uh, accommodation, a brief daily meeting with a supervisor to review progress and priorities so that I am on track. So. Is that a very simple accommodation? Yes. Two minutes in the morning with your supervisor or your manager just to go over the day's activity or what, what they want you to focus on. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of uh, uh, effort is needed to make this a, a successful hire and a, su a successful experience for that new employee. So there's an example. Yeah. So throwing it over to the UK, uh, Paul, you know, GDPR is like, you know, an ironclad gold standard for privacy, certainly to include disabilities. What have you seen from your perspective in the UK? So with this, I try and attack it from the other angle. First of all, I go to any clients and we like talk about DNI before we actually start hiring. And because there is a lot of people uh, on the spectrum in the UK in cybersecurity, we make sure that they are aware that some of the candidates coming through you know, may well be on the spectrum. Um, and you, you go in, like Daryl was talking about accommodations, we we talk about reasonable adjustments in the UK. That's how we'd phrase it, it's a bit, bit different. But um, it's things like uh, going into interview, uh, can we have uh, either oral or written forms in the interview? Because so, certain people process information differently. Um, and also that, you know, you know, sometimes when your brain freezes, uh, it happens to everyone, I'm pretty sure. Um, some people on the spectrum, they, they freeze and then they just can't get out of it. So they need an extra five minutes to go over the question. So you talk to uh, clients about that before we send the candidates in, um, any candidate I've had who's been like upfront and said, Hey, I, I might need some help. Um, yeah. The, the, let's say there's a, an interview coming, some of the questions are going to be written down and I, I prefer it to be like said orally to me, then we make sure the client knows. Um, it's helped a couple of people get jobs. I've placed a couple of people that way uh, simply by, yeah, obviously they're up front with me by saying that, hey, I need these reasonable adjustments uh, made. So if you're uncomfortable maybe talking to um, like what we call a client, but yeah, you call it an employer, maybe talk to the recruiter first and just say, um, 
you know, I, I need these adjustments made for me. Um, yeah, I maybe need an extra five minutes to think about things. Sometimes there's like a technical test and they're timed. I don't know if any of the other guys have this in their interview processes, but I often get like you've got an hour to do this particular piece and they might need an extra extra 15 minutes because it takes them longer to process. Maybe they're dyslexic. So reading, you know, is a bit more of a chore for them. Uh, but if you tackle it with the client first, is what I found when I'm placing people on the spectrum, that's what really helps. That is, that is interesting. And, you know, I feel like, like you're saying, if you are upfront about your, your needs, you know, they either accommodate them or they don't. And if they don't, chances are <laughs> it probably wasn't a good fit organization anyways. Yeah, exactly. So to close, to close this topic out, Ricky, uh, in Australia, uh, kind of same question. First of all, my apologies. I've got the sun coming right into my eyes. So it's, oh, you're, the, it's you're the golden child. It's good. Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> ten, 10 past seven here so if, if you see me and sunk with sunglasses on very soon you know why um this i've, I've got to be honest this is a really um interesting topic and, and one that i feel like if i'm honest with you as a recruiter that we and i need to do better um so it's a really i feel like it is a very very extremely personal topic and essentially we are relying on someone who who, who may or may not feel comfortable mm-hmm essentially disclosing information that could impact them and their career. Um, so it's a really, you know, it can be a very scary thing. And in, in my whole career, and I've been recruiting a long time, I feel like I'm pretty old. Um, I've got 20 years experience in recruitment, um, or over 20 years. Um, I think there's only three people. And, I, and I've, if I look back specifically in security in the last six years, there's only, there's only three people that stand out to me that have openly disclosed, uh, this is my situation. Um, it hasn't impacted the process at all um, in terms of wh- whether they got the job or not. Essentially, it was um, you know, there's other things at play. But I think personally, um, learning from this is it's, it's tough to rely on someone who may or may not feel comfortable. But I think we can do a better job of actually asking our customers in the qualification process, yeah. how do you feel about this situation? And for anyone that is neurodivergent, what what are you doing or what can you do to support them if you're hiring them? Because then from the from the sort of very beginning, we can say to our customers or so the candidates or applicants in the process, this is our customers' views on essentially neurodivergent people. This is their support mechanisms. This is their experiences because then we might be able to have more conversations with more managers explaining, oh, yeah, I'm also ADHD or I'm on the spectrum or sharing information. And then I think with that sort of open culture, we can hopefully get more people to share information from their side because at the moment it feels more than a third of people are not willing to, for various reasons, feel like they can't disclose because it may impact their career or maybe they feel like it's not someone's business. Um, but if, if we can, as a collective for the, for, the, for the future, help people be more open, get the support that can help them advance their careers, then for me, that's a much better situation to be in. So NATO, uh, Ricky, I mean, not Ricky, uh, going back to the question about when do you disclose, right? And you, and you had said it really depends, but ultimately you said offer letter in hand, disclose to HR. Well, uh, Cyber Insight Canada, another Maple Leaf guy uh, up in here, 
He he actually said, and I, obviously I can't bring it up because chat's broke, but he said, I found HR to be the worst when it comes to maintaining a gossip culture inside a company. Wouldn't HR be the last people you would want to disclose your neurodivergence to? So that question leads to the exact reason why I ended up getting in cybersecurity and staying in cybersecurity and probably will just be in this industry. Uh, so, cause I, I should talk about what cybersecurity means to me before getting a little deeper into that. When I started getting into a lot of things, uh, I came into cybersecurity through compliance. And the reason why I came into cybersecurity through compliance was because even at younger ages, I ran into situations where some discrimination led to some stuff. And I actually had like reduced rights over certain things. And so then I had to deal with like court system and then I turned 18 and then that changed. And so then I got my full set of rights of things. Uh, so that is a complicated thing that I won't get too far into, but what that goes to is with HIPAA and whatever country you're in, there's most likely something that is in the context of protecting your PHI or your PII or your personal information. Uh, in the United States, it's illegal and it's an office of civil rights violation to like, if you tell HR something about your information, that that's actually against the law. And I have had HR organizations uh, try to discriminate against me. I actually go straight to HR with, uh, like I always provide a legal notice with whatever I'm doing. And I say, if any of this information gets out there, like you can put it out there, but just know that I will be pressing charges. And I like, I'm. It's just what I have to do for myself, uh, and and it it I have had situations where I've ha it's gotten messy, and I will say that I've always won, uh, and I'm not saying that that's comfortable, but what I'm saying is you don't want those fights with your coworkers. If you do it with HR, if discrimination occurs, put the dukes up with HR. Don't put the dukes up with like your coworkers who you're trying to build rapport with. Keep the rapport with your people put the dukes up with HR where it's a legal battle. Let it be with those who are there where you're going to be dealing with some legal stuff. I don't put up with discrimination. I aggressively go after it immediately. And, and that led to like, why am I good at cybersecurity things like asset protection, identity protection, protecting my PII. Why am I good at protecting certain things? Cause the defense of my own self creates skills around defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I have a follow-up question purely out of my own curiosity. I think others might, and you feel free to disclose as little or as much as you want, uh, NATO. So, um, what, what is the workplace like, like when you, when you have to throw that gauntlet down and yes, you're, you're fighting with HR, not with your teammates, but obviously you're going because there's been some type of discrimination is the, is the workplace environment turned toxic where you basically, you know, like you're not getting fired, but you want to find somewhere else to work or does it get resolved? Uh, it depends. I've had different scenarios because so I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I've worked with just like a, a, a wide variety of different kinds of teams. So I don't want someone to think that I'm specifically talking about your organization. I probably am not. I've worked with a lot of people. So if you're watching this, don't necessarily think I'm talking about you. Uh, <laughs> I, I have run into scenarios where uh, I went and did the stuff that I needed to protect myself and then focused on just making an exit plan and then just use that to protect myself from at least getting fired while moving into a new situation for myself. Um, the other thing that I have uh, run into is that the company just starts waxing off people who caused me any like contention. 
<laughs> and and they just slowly vanish at the company. Uh, so it, it kind of comes down to the, the, I think the company culture. And I think for someone who's neurodivergent, I think seeking company culture above industry or who you're like a, a lot of these other things, I think company culture can be a, a huge factor in determining how those things can play out because the only times I've seen it go the way where, uh, they go in my favor is more like if the company culture is more around like inclusivity in certain things and they don't want certain toxic behaviors around their staff in general, they don't want that in their company. They just get rid of it. Oh, that's fantastic. It like to, to have a company like that would be awesome. Uh, so Joe Hudson, I want to, I want to go to you cause I know you did compile a bunch of stats like, uh, like a um, you know, huh. researcher, like a researcher would. So we're talking, you know, in large generalities about neurodiversity and accommodations and these things. But, you know, as Daryl said, if you know one person with autism, you know one person. I don't think people fully appreciate really what how wide neurodiversity is and and the gap in cybersecurity, not just cybersecurity, employment gaps and stuff like that. Can you share some of the interesting statistics that you uncovered during your research? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I've been kind of researching elements of this topic since I was teaching. Um, my first year of teaching, I had three kids that were diagnosed as autistic, were having Asperger's. And I remember going into that year, like 23 years old, basically just not even close to being an adult, not understanding anything and being terrified because of my ignorance of what it was. And then, you know, that first year just, it was magic, man. It was like, they were the life of the classroom, but also it became the most educational like experience probably for me to understand gifts in things that come with generalities and we don't understand it. And so I've spent years kind of learning about it, but this term neurodivergent, like that was not a term that I felt like had main, made it yet. Uh, I don't feel like I was even really familiar with this term or seeing it a lot, you know, until the last like year and a half. And I don't think the word itself is really even like 25 years old. I think somebody came up with this word like in the late 90s overall in a study. Uh, but the expansiveness of who can fall under this umbrella. I mean, it's it's I think, Daryl, we were talking the other day and uh, you yeah. gave me some stat about the unemployment level. I think it was like 88 percent. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. It's a uh, it's it's eighty six to eighty eight percent in Canada and the U S for employment for people who are this is autistic specific uh, on ASD, which is brutal. Um, I think the only stat I had from the U K was uh, as low as four point one percent for full time employment for people who are uh, on the spectrum, and and that is it's brutal. Again, that's an older stat, but still, um, I think we can do a lot better. But Back to you, so Joe. just 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 to uncover that for a second, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you're you're saying you're saying ninety six percent of people who are neurodivergent, according to the statistic at one point, were unemployed or not full. Excuse me, they were not fully employed at one point. Yeah, so that was a two thousand eleven uh, study, and it it showed I think it was four point only four point one percent in the UK who uh, were autistic. Uh, which mm -hmm. is a subset of neurodivergence, um, but uh, we're actually employed full time. And I think the stats are pretty similar around that 86, 88 percent. So you, you have another X percentage, uh, maybe another 10 percent or so, eight to 10 percent who are working, but are underemployed or only part time employed. 
and they can't get to that next level. Uh, so those are pretty brutal and abysmal numbers. And I think we can do a lot better. Yeah. Underemployed. That's a new term for me. Yeah, um, I know. I know. It's like, it's like, uh, previously owned or like, or gently used or something like that. It's like, yeah. like the new spin on a used car. But uh, yeah, so throwing it back to Joe, Joe, uh, the stats, uh, if you will. Oh, yeah, some random stats. Um, I was looking up uh, the United States. I think that they say, you know, between 15 to 20 percent are would fall under this umbrella. But really, there's a lot of people that are going to go undiagnosed. Uh, you look at ADHD, for example, that's kind of the main topic that I think has come up with a lot of people I've talked to. And I think, uh, you know, we in a, there's three million people, I think, born every day that they say we're qualified i don't know how you can attest adhd at birth but basically we're, we're having three new three million people you know cases new you know identifications a day um and i think that it's that's just for adhd but then you look at you then you got to break it down for boys versus girls male versus female that like that's the main stats that are being looked at i know that there are other terms that would fall you know that people can be looking at besides male and female but that's kind of where most of the data has been historically and i remember teaching and i remember going into lunch every day with it's me and you know a ton of women in, in the room and uh, them having a, a discussion about some of the students and the ADHD. And I do remember uh, one day, probably like my sixth year being like, hey, do any of us have any females in our classes that have an IEP for ADHD? And we all went and looked at our files and we we're like, we have zero combined. And uh, you know, kind of, we, I remember looking into research with that back then and, and realizing that uh, females were known to sort of uh, internalize a lot of, of what happens. And so you don't see this sort of rambunctiousness, so to speak, you know, the uh, the hyperactivity that's a little bit more outgoing. And that's why it comes, uh, you know, comes out more in boys. So you're going to see more males that look like they're much more heavily diagnosed than females. Whereas we know in cybersecurity, this is a male dominated field right now. And the ratios are very similar uh, between, you know, what we're looking at. But when we're going to like the spectrum, it's like one out of every 54 people, I think, that are born get mm -hmm. the wow. spectrum. I mean, that's that's a lot of numbers. That's a lot of people. We have 200 million people in the world. One out of every basically 40 people in the world is ADHD. I mean, the odds of us coming across people that are going to have some of these accommodations. And that's the big thing that I was thinking about is when we're looking at neurodivergence or neurodiversity as a topic, you can't really focus on it as a topic. Like you can't have a policy for neurodivergence in my opinion. You gotta have a policy for how to adapt to very specific cases. Because if you have hyperlexia, for example, you're not gonna say this, you're not gonna apply the same policy to that person as you would for someone that's on, you know, has ADHD. So you gotta really individualize, I think, some of these things and have game plans based on the symptoms and based on individuals' needs. Like Daryl said, you know one person with this, you know one person with that. Ricky from Australia, what kind of what kind of you know statistics can you bring around this topic? It's it's quite it's quite eye opening and scary to be honest with you. Um, so according to, to some recent stats, uh, up to one in eight people are neurodiverse in Australia. Um, when we look at the unemployment rates, so this is a little bit older data, so about seven years old. Uh, but the Australian Bureau of Statistics said that the Unemployment rate for people without disability was 5.3%, uh, and with people with autism is 40% or 40, close to 41%. Um, Staggering. Is, it's just such a wide, um, wide gap, and I think just 
communication, I think, is so important to to keep raising this because if I'm honest with you, over the last few weeks, I've been learning more myself, and I think we we can all do a much better job of raising awareness on on this subject. I agree, one hundred percent. So, another question to you while I got you up here, Ricky. Uh, and this question comes from chat. And Jax, I did see your question. I'm going to wrap Jax's question into uh, the final roundout. But uh, another question from Cyber Insight Canada that I think is an absolute banging question, Ricky. How would you identify neurodivergent superpowers on a resume without risking being misconstrued? Because, I mean, you're essentially um, disclosing right? If you're not careful, it, it, you know, like, unless you want to disclose. So what, what would you might recommend to a candidate who's got something on their resume? Uh, again, it's, it's a really interesting one. I guess it depends on how, how far you want, how open you want to be. You know, do, you, do you sort of, are you hinting towards it or do you want to just be open? And um, I think as NATO said, culture is really important. I think maybe it depends on the organization because there's, a, there's companies that will, I think, very open be how open they are and how sort of wanting of a diverse culture and again diversity is a very broad term um but on, on a cv that's a really i think not a straightforward thing to do like you can highlight essentially your superpowers or your sort of strengths are whatever they may be but essentially a, that's that's not a clear cut and i don't i don't have a, a great answer if i'm honest with you uh, because essentially what you would made down put down as a skill unless you really sort of emphasize it, it's just another skill that a lot of people may have anyway. Yeah. What about you, uh, Paul? How, how might you answer this question for a candidate? So again, as, as Ricky said, it's, it's very tricky to give a one size fits all answer to this because um, as we said, we've been saying, like everyone's different. Um, everyone has a different um like for, form of autism there's obviously a spectrum is a, a spectrum it is not one thing it's uh, it's a whole different category of things so uh, i think it's very personal um it might also depend on the role you're applying for so if you like let's say you have um that, that's you're not very good with people for example or not very good at communicating to people going for a consultant role is going to be very, very tricky. Um, it just depends on the role. But um, I think overall, if you're putting it on a CV or a resume, you can be you can be open about it. Uh, I do see on LinkedIn, sometimes people will put uh, neurodivergent. I've seen that a few times. And again, that's a personal choice. Uh, uh, I believe that does help some people out when they do that. Um, and, it, and again, go back to the CV, I mean, where, I can't see where you might put it. You might put it in the blurb of your CV to say, by the way, I, you know, I'm on the spectrum. Um, I may need, and we're going back to the reasonable adjustments that I was talking about earlier. Uh, I may need some help here, but it, you know, it's not going to affect my work. Um, but again, that is a very personal choice. Um, so I'd have you'd have to leave up to the individual. There's no one size fits all answer here. All right. So that's a tricky one. Um, so I guess that, let me ask NATO, since NATO, you have filled out many resumes in your life uh, and you've probably been a champion to some individuals with uh, neurodivergence. How, how do you spin? How do you how do you highlight your superpower without, um, you know, torpedoing yourself? 
So I, I do coach individuals who are neurodivergent on how to get jobs, primarily people who are ADD or on the spectrum. And what I usually, I, I guess, kind of get into is the idea of positioning yourself and how do you position yourself. And I guess what that means when I explain it is if you have a certain skill, like everyone has something that they have an aptitude in and focus on like how that's just one of your aptitudes that you so happen to have because everyone has strengths and everyone has uh, certain things. I think one of the, the good ways to sort of find a way to structure uh, kind of explaining strengths is I'll recommend things like Myers-Briggs tests and things like that so that if folks want to, instead of saying, I am like on the spectrum or I have ADD, they can be like, I am an INTJ or something along those lines where it gives an idea that maybe someone might be a little more like analytically driven or focused things along those lines if they want to kind of put something out there. Uh, but you can put what sort of like what I consider like counter terms and a counter term is sort of like a replacement term to allow you to continue to maintain a form of privacy. That is something that's still true or, or and relevant to, you know, trying to express your strengths and just framing and positioning in a way that others are going to connect with. Because if you say that you're on the spectrum, everyone, if they've ever experienced someone being on the spectrum, they're going to think that maybe you're like their past experience, which is probably far from true. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Daryl, uh, uh, thoughts on this topic around the resume? Yeah, for the resume um, and, you know, all the recruiters here, we've seen tons and tons of resumes over the years. So um, I would actually avoid using the word superpower on a resume. Um, I know that's going to come off some, uh, you know, wrong to certain individuals, but that's okay. Um, I would avoid that. What I would recommend, um, you know, is to put, you know, perhaps unique strengths and list a few things out. Um, such as attention to detail or a unique attention to detail or, uh, you know, something that is unique to that person's aptitude. Um, neurodivergent people deserve to be identified and defined by their strengths and not focus on their weaknesses. Because if we focus on their weaknesses, whether it's in the resume or during the interview or during their employment, that will almost certainly become what they are known for at the company or in that interview. So we have to choose what we're going to focus on. And I think when you're putting your resume together, choose to focus on your strengths. Yeah, real quick, to kind of go back to that on NATO's previous comment about your typing, you know, like right there, say you're typing, your job is a, a tremendous amount of documentation and reports, the amount of time that you can spend. So you're not going to sit there. And I, I think I've told this story before, but like the first bullet I put on my resume when I left teaching was can type 96 words per minute because I had no idea what to put on a resume for a recruiter. Uh, but to take that to basically say, you know, quickly and effectively can type up reports, you know, saving an exponential amount of time. But then in an interview, you know, that's going to be a random bullet. But I mean, that's going to be something that can absolutely have a huge effect on your performance, your efficiency and your ability to like crank out your job, which might not be looked at as a a category no one's putting fast typing on a security uh, job description you know no one's doing that but it is something that can actually make a huge difference if it's a superpower of yours that's pretty cool it's a good topic it definitely is and, and many of the things that we've talked about today already we could do a full stream 
just in and begin unpacking and uncovering it. So there really is so much to cover. And if you if you can't imagine it, we've already been streaming and talking for 56 minutes and it's a one hour show. So despite all the great questions that I have, um, we're going to have to go around the horn and kind of do uh, final thoughts and comments. So I'll, I'll go, you know, top down. So if you're seeing it the same way I am from Paul down to Joe, uh, final thoughts and, uh, and reflections. Maybe um, we had a question from Jack Scott too. So if you guys want to answer this as part of your send off, that would be cool. But one of the, one of the questions too was uh, where can someone go to find options for accommodations to help them be more successful at the work, right? So maybe you, you, you know, you're neurodivergent, maybe you're undiagnosed ADD, but you know, you've got it, but you don't know what options are out there for accommodations. Uh, so any resources, like that would be useful. So Paul, I'll throw it to you. Final thoughts on neurodiversity and cybersecurity? Yeah, I think, um, well, since we started talking about it, I've certainly learned a lot more uh, about the subject, especially we we're talking about stats earlier in mean, the UK employment stats for people, uh, neurodiverse people is shockingly bad considering that the overall unemployment rate is 3.4%. So it's really, really bad. Um, so I've certainly learned a lot. I hopefully will put some of the, what I've learned, especially from Daryl. He's uh, mentioned quite a few things that his family have faced. I will certainly bear that in mind when I talk to candidates and clients to try and help people, um, you know, get jobs. That's what we do. Uh, in terms of accommodations, I, I there are a few people I follow on uh, LinkedIn recently since I've started um, researching it. I don't have the names off the top of my head. I didn't write them down, but I'm I'm happy to send them to you after the stream. And then if you want to forward them on to, to the person that asked the question, we can do that. Awesome. Yeah. And I will make available uh, Paul and Daryl and Ricky and NATO and Joe's contact information, both after the stream ends in the description below. And if you just uh, DM me on Discord. I will connect you with these guys. I mean, you can find them pretty easily on LinkedIn too. They're not they're not hiding in the shadows, some like uh, dark web hacker or anything like that. Daryl, final thoughts on uh, neurodiversity and cybersecurity? I think from uh, an employer's perspective, and I kind of want to speak to to the employers out there, the people who are in that hiring seat role, that hiring manager role. So I think it's important to note that no one is asking for a handout because they're neurodiverse or autistic. No one. All they want, they're worthy individuals. They just want their fair shot. And if the stats are to be looked at and to really be internalized and really analyzed, the hiring game has been rigged against them from the start. So for employers, being leaders means being intentional. That means we no longer ignore candidates who are highly innovative and adaptive, and we can't ignore a talent pool that brings really unique skills to the cybersecurity industry. And uh, different, not less. There you go. Yeah, that's that's the tagline right there. Different, Absolutely. not less. Ricky, final thoughts. Um. I think some great points there, and to some echoing um, the thoughts on. Basically, for me, it's just, we've got to have more conversations with customers. If we're looking at stats where it says in Australia there's, there's around one in eight people are neurodiverse, that means a lot of the people that we're already working with, a lot of our customers fit into into essentially that category. And 
I think the more open in terms of communication and, and us when we're qualifying roles of customers and talking about this subject, um, essentially we want to raise raise awareness and it means if, if they can have essentially a more supportive environment and maybe they already do, they just don't talk about it. Because uh, for me, this is not spoken about enough that if we can offer that supportive environment that hopefully it means people feel more comfortable in essentially letting us know if they want to talk about it and then bringing that awareness to customers as well. Um, Cause it's just crazy that in, in six plus years, only three people, and again, it's completely, completely at people's own discretion, but only three people have sort of essentially mentioned it to me. Um, whereas realistically, it could be a lot higher percentage of people that are actually we're working with already. They just, don't feel comfortable or, or don't feel the need to disclose it. Very true. A lot of work to do. Mr. Hudson from the United States, can you share your final thoughts on neurodiversity and cybersecurity? Yeah, we have a long ways to go. Um, and, and, and it has to happen because we we can't sit around and complain about uh, the gaps and, and then also look for excuses to dodge this discussion. Um, and, and I agree with Daryl. This is, you know, we spent a lot of time telling candidates here's what you need to do here's what you need to do again this is a this is an arena where recruiters and our and our companies like we have to take some ownership of this i can't wait for my next client call so in the middle of my technical questions i can go and by the way what do you guys do you know what's your approach to uh you know to supporting candidates that have you know different needs i cannot wait to hear that awkward like silence because i can almost guarantee most of the people that i'm going to ask they're not going to have that sort of approach or policy verbatim ready to go. And that's not something you're going to be really familiar with. And, and I agree. Most of the people watching here, they would never know that this group of people, we've been talking about this offline for like six months now. And I think it's sort of generated each of us to put in some research and share some dialogue. Daryl really sharing his story. I just think it's kind of hit home with us as individuals a little bit more. And, and then being able to connect with people like NATO, like NATO, it's really, it's freaking awesome what you do, man. I mean, it's really cool that you put yourself in a position to be a model that people uh, can follow. And, and like, we have to have that. So not everybody's going to be comfortable with that. And it's kind of like what we talked about before we tell people to network, et cetera. That's not going to work the same way. There is no formula for that, but there has to be some individuals and leaders that take this bull by the horns and, and honestly make it an intentional topic with clients. And then also let the candidate pool feel comfortable bringing it up because they feel like we could be advocates. And then after time, they're just gonna expect everyone for the most part to be advocates because this is gonna be more of a normal topic. So I hope, I, I hope that this is something that we continue to revisit as a group here and as individuals. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a growth opportunity for myself. And I know for, for many of you, uh, you know, like Joe just said himself, and I could just tell from the other individuals, uh, definitely been excellent. And, and as I said, the mental health has a negative stigma in the United States. And I really feel that we are coming, we're, we're making like great leaps as a society in the United States, just in the last five years where like mental health is not seen as a stigma. People take mental health vacations. People, even in the cybersecurity community where mental health, especially on the blue team side, mm -hmm. uh, you can suffer burnout, exhaustion, um, you know, and it, it's okay to be that way and share that and get the help you need. It's not like you're not a, a social pariah if you admit to those things. Um, so final thoughts, NATO, to round us out and take us home on uh, neurodiversity and cybersecurity. Yeah, and I just want to make this message out there to those who also think differently out there. Like, don't think of it as a bad thing. Think of it as 
you just so happen to have strengths that others don't necessarily have and just figure out how to discover those. And I would even go so far as to say, don't pursue looking for a career, pursue looking for a community. Because if you find the right job with the right people, then that job becomes a community and a place where you find routine and people who actually care about what you're doing, who actually appreciate you, uh, who actually you know provide more than just a paycheck. So don't just pursue a paycheck if you're someone who thinks a little differently because it's a lot harder to just get by when like other people don't have these other things to contend with in their day. Go out there and find a place where you can be yourself. And if it takes time, if it takes job hopping, job hop until you find it if you have to. There's a bad stigma around job hopping, but like if you're at a place and people aren't treating you right, bounce. Don't let people treat you poorly. Don't let people talk to you in ways that people shouldn't be talking to you like if, if you're feeling like this is not going to work out for you like stand up for yourself and, and and look for the things that you need to do understand your rights and find a community find people who are more than just a job yeah absolutely everybody i don't care who you are everybody is entitled to dignity absolutely uh so before i was going to close it out but you you made me think of something nato is there is there a resource or a community like in the cybersecurity world, there's discord servers that I always po point to. Is there something for neurodivergent individuals to have a kind of safe space to talk and understand and get access to information that you know of? Uh, so, I mean, I do run my own program. So I, I run something called the DevSec Ops Dojo. And for the most part, I just have people DM me. So it's, it's sort of, uh, casual and, and not structured for things that are a little more structured. There are programs that like SANS of the programs that I've found, uh, SANS has been the one that I found friendliest and they actually have a lot. They actually talk a lot about mm -hmm. neurodivergence and how to work with neurodivergence and have, uh, lessons around how it works and how to be neurodivergent in a cybersecurity job, which I don't really see many places. Uh, and there are a bunch of other programs out there. I think score, is a great way to find mentors um, because it doesn't cost anything. So it's just S-C-O-R-E, especially if you're trying to figure out how to get business assistance or figure out how to uh, work through different parts of your career, pick up different skills. Score is a great option because it's also not going to cost you money because one of the challenges when you are neurodivergent is trying to get therapy costs a lot of money. Trying to get certain coaching costs a lot of money. What if you don't have a lot of money? Score. Score is one of those many options. There's other programs like that, like nonprofits. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of programs out there that are worth looking into. Awesome. And I went ahead, uh, Paul dropped a link to a resource on LinkedIn, uh, neurodiversity in business. I've gone ahead and dropped that in chat. I've also dropped it with Justin Gold, who will drop it in chat as well to make sure that everybody uh, gets it. So guys, we're, we're a, a few minutes over time, but I think for a topic as important and as serious as this, it warrants the extra time. And uh, I want to extend my sincere appreciation to Joe Hall, Daryl Ricky, and Nato for coming on and putting in the work and the effort. This thing, this talk, this stream has been in the works for months and months and months, a lot of prep. Um, I, I saw the messages in chat from different people. It was really well received. It definitely resonated with the community. So I'd like to thank all of you for being here today, both on the panel and in the audience to help uh, educate and promote this very important topic as we move into a more enlightened society that is more inclusive and um, realistic with how people uh, can contribute to the workforce, basically. 
So that's going to do it for this episode of Simply Cyber Live. Again, thank you to everybody involved. Remember, every uh, weekday morning at 8 a.m., I do the daily cyber threat briefing, uh, 30 minutes of action-packed cybersecurity news of the day. So definitely come check out tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. for that cyber threat briefing. And then next Thursday, we will be doing Simply Cyber Live just the same uh, with a different topic, uh, but equally as interesting, if I will. So thank you, everybody, for your time, and we'll see you all next time. Take care. Bye, guys.